I hope you have a Bible with you today. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. The foundation for real unity. Real unity. Unity is something that God wants us to have, but many times it is not achieved. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a church, regardless of where it is. And there's reasons for that. Now, the context of our study, of course, is the local church in particular, the body of Christ, but then the local church in particular. As we have often seen in Paul's writings, he sets a doctrinal foundation and then speaks of its application and exercise. You see that's characteristics of his writings. You see it in all the letters to the churches. He, he starts with doctrinal truth and then he moves into the practical realm of that. And so it is here in Ephesians. Now, what we are entering into is the practical workings of the local church and the mission that God has for us as a local church. Okay, now I'm concerned about the, the world being reached for Christ. Uh, we do that and we, we are concerned about that through our media ministry and sharing the gospel no matter where we go. That's our mission. But where do we begin? We begin with our local church. We are here, we're a local church, okay? Our local church is a local assembly of those in the body of Christ. But it's very, very important, and God has a purpose for our church and also for our lives. And again, remember that most of Paul's writings were actually to local churches. And that is a key that many, many years ago, I learned from a a, a dear pastor friend, Pastor Scudder, Years ago, is with the Lord now. But I remember him talking about that. Remember Paul's writings are first to the local church. It's like, wow, that was a key that unlocked really the manual on how church is supposed to be. Now here in Ephesians chapter one, Paul says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. I therefore, okay, therefore, in light of the fact of what we've seen so far in Ephesians, in light of the fact that we are the Lord's children by faith in Christ, that we're saved forever, that we are accepted in the beloved, or the word accepted there is is highly favored, okay? It was the same word that was used when it says, blessed art thou among women. Mary was highly favored, She was graced. That's really what it is. She was graced. And we are graced if we are in Christ. We're part of the body of Christ. We're accepted in Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, but because of his grace, we're accepted. Not only are we highly favored, but that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We saw that our last time together. He says, therefore, in verse one, I beseech you. In other words, I beg you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye were called. Understand some things today. I get questions from time to time. People will email me with different questions. And one of the things, for whatever reason, you know, we are so, and we ought to be, so awestruck by the fact that God would save us by his grace and keep us eternally secure. I mean, that is an amazing thing, that God will save us and never lose us, that he'll save us just the way we are, that he'll save us as sinners who need a savior and that there's nothing we can do. And God has a desire for every person who's ever lived to be his child. That's his desire. Now that's an amazing truth. And when you get saved, that's an amazing fact that we are saved and we're eternally secure. 
But understand this, folks, and, and this is something a lot of people don't get. Getting saved is not the end. Getting saved is the beginning. Let me say it again. Getting saved is not the end. Getting saved is the beginning. We have been born again, and we have a new life to live once we're saved. That is why we are left here. I want you to hold your place and look with me over to Colossians chapter 3. We see this mindset all the way through Scripture. Yes, it's wonderful to be justified, but it's also wonderful to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The reason God doesn't take us to heaven the moment we get saved is that he has a ministry for us while we're still here. So if you're saved and you're still here, God's not through with you. There's something he has for you yet. And the day he takes you home is the day he has said, okay, I'm done. I'm done with you. Come on home. But if you're here, there's still ministry to be done. Colossians 3 verse 1, by the way, Paul writing to another local church, he says, if you then be risen with Christ, that means you're saved. It's basically what it's saying. Then what are we supposed to do? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, set your mind, your desires, your thinking. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So do you see that once we're saved, God says, I have a life for you to live. I have saved you. Yes, you were crucified with Christ, but you were risen, so to speak, to live a new life. We have a new life to live as believers. Okay, now people always want to, what if I don't live the right life? What if I don't do the one? You know what? If you've trusted Christ, you're saved no matter what. You can't lose your salvation. But what you can lose out on are the blessings and the joys of living for Christ, both now and then the rewards you could have one day when we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. God has a ministry for us. To me, it just doesn't make any sense to just get saved and say, okay, I'm saved now, that's the end of it. No, listen, it's a wonderful thing to be saved, but you know what is often, and I believe this is the Holy Spirit in us, once we're saved, what is often the case is people who get saved, many times, as soon as they get saved, what do they want to do? They want to share it with somebody else. Well, you know, that just kind of makes spiritual common sense, doesn't it? Why? Hey, I'm saved from hell now. I know I can't go to hell when I die. I don't want you to go either. Let me tell you what I just learned. Isn't that exciting? And there's no greater thrill than to share the gospel and lead someone to Christ. There's no greater thrill than that. Now let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. You see first here, it says, walk worthy of your vocation. Folks, that is speaking of, it isn't talking about what you do as a job to earn money. The vocation here has to do with the spiritual realm, okay? This is speaking of our lifestyle, it says walk worthy. Now, what is walking? Walking by its very nature, what is it? It's taking repeated steps in the same direction. If I'm going to go out for a walk, okay, I'm not just standing there going like this. I'm going to go out for a walk. That means I'm going somewhere. I'm going to take a walk. 
I've got repeated steps going in the same direction. God wants us to take repeated steps as believers going in the same direction. What is it? To fulfill his will. Not only are we to walk, but we are to walk worthy. The word worthy means appropriately, appropriately. This is being a Christian in not only what you believe, but how you live as a Christian. Walk worthy, appropriately. If you're a child of God, if I'm a child of God, I should live like a child of God should live. That's what the scripture tells me. We should walk, we should walk worthy, we should walk worthy of our vocation. The word vocation means our calling. See, we have been given the gift of eternal life. We are the children of God. I am a child of God. That's an amazing thing. I don't deserve it for one second. It's all by grace, but it's a glorious truth. We have the privilege to bring glory to the Savior, to be holy in the way we live, without blame before him in love. This is the ongoing work that God wants to do in the life of a Christian. He wants us to grow in godliness. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope, Jesus to come back. More about that in a moment. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have the privilege to bring glory to the Savior, to be holy and without blame before him in love, to share the gospel with the lost and the dying world around us. Listen, if you have not understood this yet, let me say this. The world is falling apart and we're the ones with the answer. The world is getting darker. We're the ones with the light. We have a responsibility to speak the word to the world in which we live, to explain the gospel clearly, boldly, faithfully. This is our vocation. This is our purpose. We're children of God. God has left us here for a reason to live. Young people, you know, I I get emails all the time and, and things. Boy, the young people of today, you know, they're really passionate people and they're awesome and, and all these things. And if they believe in something, boy, they'll give their lives to it. Listen, there's nothing greater to give your life to than a proclamation of the gospel. There's nothing greater to live your life for than to reach people for Christ. Our time is limited, folks. We are getting close to the tribulation period. And when the rapture takes place, our ministry's done. We can't share the gospel any longer once we're raptured. So what we ought to be concerned about is taking as many people with us as we can. And this is being faithful with the gospel. So we see, number one, we are to walk worthy of our vocation. But number two, how are we to walk or with what attitude are we to walk? There's an attitude, okay? You don't go around poking people in the chest and saying, believe in Jesus or you're going to hell and you deserve to if you don't believe in Jesus. Let's take a proper perspective, a do it with the attitude. You know, Paul talks about speaking the truth in love, right? Later on in this passage, actually. So how are we to live our lives or with what attitude are we to do it? Well, Before I got saved, I was actually going to go into art. I was going to go into commercial art. That's what I was pursuing. And I graduated from the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale. We did a lot of different types of art just to get exposed to it and experienced and and all of that. And there are a lot of different mediums that you can use for painting. 
I believe one of the most difficult is watercolor to control. But then there's some others. There's oil painting. There's acrylic painting. And, you know, if you look carefully at, let's say, an oil painting, people who paint with oil, all right, it's interesting. There's a, it's not like a magic marker where you just say, okay, there's a head and there's some legs on here and, you know, and, and there, there's that person and I'll splash a little color on there. No, somebody who is painting with oil or acrylic, they're very careful. And they'll like do little dabs at times, little dab, dab here. And, and at first you're thinking, what in the world are they doing? What are they, what are they painting? Where well, I don't see that color in what they're doing. And then little by little, little by little, dab, little bits here and there. And all of a sudden, oh, wow, you know what? I'm starting to see something here. This is really impressive. And when that painting is done, if they're, they've done a good job, you look at it and you say, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. What went into that? A lot of ingredients went into that picture to make it beautiful. Listen, folks, we should have a passion of reaching people, but God also wants us to have a passion of doing it in the right way. And so what do we see here? We see the how we are to walk. Ephesians 4, 2, it says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another. Let's break this down with lowliness. What is lowliness? Humility. It's humility. It's the opposite of pride. See, it's not about us. Life is not about us. It's about Christ. Also, it says with meekness. What is meekness? I like what one person said. It's strength held in reserve. You're strong, but you hold it in reserve. You don't pound people with it. You may have a right position. You don't beat people with your right position. You try to communicate it in a way to where they're open to it and they'll listen to what you're saying because they're not being offended by the way you're saying it. It is seeing ourselves as God does. That's humility. We are nothing in ourselves, but we are everything we need to be in Christ. It's a life that puts others first. It is the attitude that helps us get along with other people. Now, I'm grateful for any Christian who shares the gospel with people. But you know what, folks? We, we sometimes can be very obnoxious in the way we do things. God wants us to do it with the right attitude. Does that mean they're going to automatically accept it? No, it doesn't mean that. Jesus was perfect, wasn't he? He never made a mistake. He never had a wrong attitude. He never said the wrong thing. He never did the wrong thing. And what did they do to him? Well, they nailed him to a cross. But I'll tell you what, there's not only a lot of people he affected then, but we're being affected today, to this very day. It's amazing. So we see this, this attitude that helps us get along with others. When we are humble people, you'll find you'll get along with other people. It's when we become obnoxious that there's a lot of conflict with, it seems like, everybody we meet. Listen, when it comes to the local church, we need to learn to get along with each other. As a matter of fact, that continues on. Look at this next thing here. It says, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know, God is so down to earth in his word. Do you know what forbearing means? It means putting up with. You know, that's the truth of it sometimes. We just have to put up with each other. You might say, yeah, boy, there's a lot of people I try to put up with. I got news for you. If that's what you think, they probably think the same thing about you. 
Yeah, that's so-and-so. I just do, I, I try to put up with them the best I can. See, folks, but that's a necessary thing because we're different and there are certain things that people like and other people don't like and certain personality traits and it's like just sometimes it's like, okay, what's the old story, uh, the old poem? To live above with those I love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with the saints below, well, that's another story, something like that. That can often be the case in the local church, but Paul says, look, guys, be humble be meek, be long-suffering. When I say, Pastor, what's the Greek for long-suffering? Suffer long. Suffer long. I'd say, oh man, when I'm, with, when I'm around that person, I'm suffering long. Well, you know what? That's part of our ministry, isn't it? And sometimes maybe people suffer long when they're around us. Long-suffering, forbearing, putting up with one another. Why do we do it? Look what it says. Forbearing one another, How? In love, what does love do? Love puts the other person before themselves. Love says, doesn't matter. They may think differently than I do on some likes and dislikes or whatever, or they may look this way or, they, or they, no, I'm going to put up with them. We're not talking about open rebellion, okay? That's not the point. This is just talking about in the body of Christ to accomplish our mission We need to look at each other and we need to look at those around us and think of them and think, you know what, this is a soul for whom Christ loves. They're a child of God like I am. They're my brother. They're my sister. I need to love them. We're living in rough days, aren't we? We don't need to stab each other in the back because of personality differences or whatever or hold grudges. Or are you a grudge holder? Shame on you. Shame on you. If you're holding a grudge against a brother or sister in Christ, shame on you. We don't have a right, as we're going to see here. Matter of fact, let's look at it right now. Further down in the chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This word forgiving here, it's related to the word grace. Acting in grace. You know what that means? They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it, but we will be gracious to them because God has called us to be that way. And not only that, I'm going to be gracious to them because God was gracious to me. You know, it's amazing how relationships get broken over one thing that was done that was wrong. And yet God will save us and forgive us of our entire lifetime of sin at one point in time. And yet we'll hold on to that one thing and we'll hold a grudge for years. You know what that is? It's ugly pride is what it is. It's ugly pride and it divides marriages, it divides families, it divides churches. And it shouldn't be. Just let it go. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Well, I don't think I could ever, man, I can't believe what they said to me. Let let me tell you something, friend. God forgave you of your whole lifetime of sin when he saved you. And he knew what you were going to do in the future. And he still forgave you when he saved you. Think about that. And we're holding on to this one thing. How twisted are we as people? Let's go back to earlier in the chapter here. Move on. Chapter 4, verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, 
verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Which leads us to our third point. We are to strive for biblical unity. This is talking about local church. Unity comes from the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it is not primarily a feeling. It is a fact. It's not mainly emotional. It's volitional. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What about this issue of unity? Can I say if you don't have unity, little will be accomplished. Instead of fighting the enemy, we're fighting each other. This means that everyone needs to be like-minded and going in the same direction. It is having the mindset of being on the same team, united for the same purpose. Listen, the payroll of your baseball team means nothing if there's not unity. There can be Christians and they can be extremely talented in a local church. And if there's not unity in that church, it's not going to work. They're going to be at each other's throats because they're driven by pride. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. The church at Corinth was a church that was so divided. They were at each other's throats. And yet every one of those believers had the Holy Spirit living inside of them. It's amazing. See, God is the one who defines true unity. It is on his terms, not ours. It cannot be based on opinions or point of views, but on scripture itself. Now, this is key today. How do we get unity in the local church? It's every believer on the same page. And what is that page? It's the page of scripture. This year at camp, we, uh, most of the music at camp is played on guitars, Don't anybody have a heart attack on that now? And I'm the one who leads it. Now you'll definitely go into cardiac arrest. But you know what? Playing all week on guitars, those things, they're stringed instruments. Stringed instruments go out of tune. And so you have to tune them. So what do you need? To to be in tune with each other, you need to tune to a reliable source. Everybody needs to tune to that source. Mark Steffes this year, he, he showed me a new app that I've been using. I appreciate that app, Mark. I still use it. And it, it's a very visual guitar tuner on the phone. You just bring it up on the phone, and then you start doing your strings and turning your knobs, and, and you see it, and it gets it to where it's exactly where it's supposed to be. And, and uh, you know what? My guitar, if my guitar's out of tune, chances are it's out of tune with the other guitars. I can take that guitar, I can tune it to that source, I can take my phone, pass it to the next guitar player, if he tunes his guitar to that source, and the next one tunes his guitar to that source, so on and so forth, guess what? You have five guitar players, everybody's tuned to the same source, everybody's going to be tuned to each other. We'll be in harmony with each other. God wants us to be in tune. Now I know, well we need to be tuned to Jesus, I get that. But there's a practical reality to that. It's being tuned to the scriptures. The word of God is what brings unity. Standing on the word of God. And when a Christian starts getting away, and sometimes, just like a guitar, it's not that you take the knobbing and you start going way down. Just a little bit out messes everything up. If you're a musician, you know what I'm talking about. 
It doesn't have to be the person who's in total rebellion. It's the one as an example. They just quit coming to church or they don't come as much or they come up with a, an excuse for not coming to church. Or there's, you know, we're having a, all hands on deck, we're having a great activity here. We're going to be reaching people and say, well, I don't know if I want, well, yeah, we tried this last year or this or that, or well, you know, I'm kind of tired and all, okay. Let's play a song. All you get is noise. You know why? Because we're not in tune to the source, that's why. If everybody is in tune to Scripture, we'll be in tune with each other. That's what brings unity to a local church. Scripture itself. To have unity, you have to be like-minded. And the only way to get truly like-minded in a church is to be truly biblical. Is unity important and is it God's will? Yes. But not unity for unity's sake. It's unity to the glory of God to accomplish his work. By the way, true unity is very much related to true fellowship. You can't have true fellowship if you don't have true unity. Paul said in Philippians 1, again, written to another local church, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship. Doesn't stop there. In the gospel from the first day until now. See, it all begins with the gospel, the plan of salvation. If there's no agreement on what the gospel is, then how can you have real unity in anything else? I've seen it, folks. I've watched. I've watched believers. I've watched pastors try to have true unity, and they know that these other people they're trying to have unity with are not straight on the gospel. And they pretend that they're straight on the gospel. It doesn't work. It's got to be an issue of the truth of Scripture. It's got to be an issue of the heart of this, where our hearts are tuned to the truth and we love the gospel and we'll stand on it and defend it and we'll proclaim it. And those who are like-minded, oh, there's a sweet fellowship and there's a sweet unity. But when that's not there, it's just a joke. It's a joke. This is the foundation of all we believe, the gospel but people want to bypass it. They don't see the importance of it. No, you must have unity before you can build a local church that will last. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We as a church will promote no one who's not clear on the gospel. We will promote no one. It doesn't mean we won't say so-and-so said this and it was good, but they're not straight on the gospel. That's another thing. I'm just saying, no, we will not promote anybody who's not straight on the gospel because We don't want people to embrace that person, promote that person, and then that person is preaching a false gospel, which leads people to hell. And I had a hand in that? No thanks. No thanks. Romans 1.16, by the way, written to another local church. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. See, this is why it's so powerful. Only the gospel, you notice it's singular. Only the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What's the basis of getting saved? To them that believe. There it is in verse 16. Unto everyone that believeth. Look up here, watch this. No, I do this often because it makes it clear. This was you and me. This represents our sin. We're all sinners. 
We are separated from God because of our sin. To go to heaven, you have to be without sin, and none of us are. Heaven's a perfect place. We're not. We're sinners. We come into the world sinners. Most people think, okay, well, I'll do good things, and good works will take care of my sin. No, the Bible says the wages of sin, the only payment for sin is death. We would have to die physically and spend forever separated from God in a literal hell if we were to pay for our sins on our own, if we were to pay for our sins. The Bible says we cannot do it by our good works. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, here, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing we could do of ourselves to earn salvation. We are lost. If we die with our sin, we'll be lost forever. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came into the world, God in the flesh, sinless. And when he went to the cross, all of our sin, he took it. And he paid for it for us. He died in our place as our substitute, made the payment, died, was buried, rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe, if you'll put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, he will give you as a free gift that moment everlasting life. He'll never cast you out. He'll never lose you. It's a free gift. That's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. When you believe that Jesus has paid for all your sins when he died on the cross and that he rose from the grave, God gives you everlasting life. That's the gospel. We will die for that message. That is the bottom line. That is where unity must begin in a local church. And that's why we always give it, because people need to know it. Now, that is where it begins. But as our text continues here, we're going to look at some foundational truths for unity. It begins with the gospel, but here are some things that every sound local church needs to have settled. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling. Let's break this down, one body. What is this referring to? It's talking about the true body of Christ made up of all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone as Savior from Pentecost to the rapture of the church. That's what makes up the body of Christ. Those are believers all over the world. Regardless where they live, regardless of a label or whatever, it's those who have trusted Christ as Savior make up the body of Christ. There's one Body. Now, that body should be meeting in local assemblies. Those are called local churches. But whether you go to an actual location or not to meet, that doesn't mean you're not part of the body of Christ. It is God's will for you to be part of the body. But I know, I know, I get letters all the time from people. There are no churches in my area that have the gospel. I hear it all the time. I'm sorry, I, I really feel bad about that, and we'll do all we can to help you get one going there. What can we do? Okay? Yeah, keep tuning in, be part with us. But in the meantime, listen, if you're a man who's qualified according to scriptures, hey, how about you start the church in that area? We'll help you. We'll do all we can. Use our stuff, call for counsel, for help. This is so important. One body. 
And let me say this. This needs to be said. It is not a matter of denomination. Now, I know people freak out about that, but it's true. Let me give you a, a brief little, little history lesson. I was saved in non-denominational ministry. I was saved at a summer camp at Florida Bible College. The church affiliated with the college was Florida Bible Church. Bible Church, not Baptist Church. It wasn't Baptist. Well, there are many Baptists who believe in a false gospel, lordship salvation gospel. So we were kind of taught that, you know, Baptists, you got to be really leery of Baptists. Now, I didn't understand there were plenty of Baptists who were right on the gospel because I would just believe what I was taught. Now, I'm not saying they're, you know, everybody is. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there was a, we had a built-in, to some extent, justified in ways, prejudice, in a sense, against Baptists. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. Well, then I started meeting some who were really sound. Dr. Curtis Hudson, who had a huge church in Georgia, uh, Forest Hills Baptist Church, I think that was the name of it. Crystal clear on the gospel. As a matter of fact, he got his doctorate from Florida Bible College. Yet he was as Baptist as Baptist could be. But he was clear on the gospel. Oh, so there are some. So I had to learn, wait, there are Baptists who are doctrinally sound. And so that didn't bother me anymore. I got past the label and went to the person. What a novel idea. Well, and then there's the others on the other side. Okay, so the Baptists. They're Baptists who believe if you don't go to a Baptist church, you don't go to a real church. If it's not a Baptist church, it's not really a church. It's not recognized by God as a real church. Believe it or not, there's some Baptists who think that. Well, that's heretical as well. And so what do you do with that? Well, here's what you do with it. You go to the Bible. What a novel idea. And you find this. It's not your label. It's what you believe makes you my brother or sister. It's not your label. Now, I'm not saying labels cannot be revealing of some things. They can. But I'm saying, folks, listen, there are Baptists who don't think a church is a church unless it's a Baptist church. And there are Bible churches or non-denominational churches who look at Baptist churches and say, well, those are all Lordship Salvation churches. I don't want to have anything to do with them. No, it's, it's an individual thing. Our church is an independent church, and it needs to stay that way. Personally, I find this um, division based on your name, I find it to be very repulsive. Now, listen, there are some obvious ones. If somebody goes to the Catholic church, okay, there's a very good chance they're not saved. But then again, there are people who go to the Catholic church who are saved. They just never got out of the Catholic church. Listen, you can get saved and not leave the Catholic church, and you're still saved. You ought to leave the Catholic Church if you're saved, because it's preaching works for salvation. Any church that preaches works for salvation, you ought to leave it. But that doesn't mean you can't be a believer and be there. You ought to be in a good Bible-believing, preaching and teaching church. So important, so important to understand this. Let me show you a couple verses here. I, I can see we're not going to finish our list today, but you need to see these. Look with me to Acts chapter 11. I have very little patience with a Baptist who tells me if it's not a Baptist church, it's not a true church. By the way, the church started on Pentecost, not with John the Baptist. Now that is false. 
started with John the Baptist. The church did not start until the day of Pentecost. It's interesting when you look at the church history. Now, when I say church history, in my mind, you know what that means? That means the book of Acts and what we have in the, in the scripture. It doesn't mean books written by men. It means what we have in the scripture. And what you find in the book of Acts, in Acts eleven twenty six, it says, and when they had found him, they brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples, let me misread this. And the disciples were called Baptists first at Antioch. It doesn't say that. It says Christians. They weren't concerned about the label. They were concerned about the belief. Acts 26, 28, Agrippa. Then Agrippa said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a what? A Christian. A Christian. Folks, that's what we need to be concerned with. And who is a Christian? It's one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior. That person is saved. So what about a church that's a generic, got a generic name? Well, that, that doesn't really help either, right? Well, we won't have anything. We'll just be whatever. You know, you start a new church, and what are you going to call your church? Well, we're going to call our church Grace Church. Okay, what does that mean? It's like buying a can of vegetables with no label on it. You have no idea what you're getting until you open up the lid. Give people some idea. Yeah, but when you put a name on it, then you're, you're dealing with people's perspectives about that name. I get that. I don't know what else to tell you. Like I told our membership class this morning, it's a losing battle. It really is. It is a losing battle. We have people who come to our church. If we were a Baptist church when we started, they would have never come to our church. Did you know that? Good people. Good people who are still with us. We have other people that if we didn't have Baptist in our name, they would have never come to our church if Baptist was not in the name. Good people still with us. So what do we have? Bible Baptists. Are you trying to please everybody? No? I don't know what we're going to call ourselves. The Christians. Well, the Christian church is a denomination and they preach works for salvation. You can't do that either. Do you see the dilemma, folks? What do you got to do? You got to go to the individual. You got to go to that and find out what they really do believe. What they really do believe. Here's the point today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? We'll pick up on this next week where we left off because I can see we're not going to finish it. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you trusted in Him as your Savior? If you have, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the church. Okay? If you're part of the church, it is God's will if at all possible, for you to be part of a sound local church that meets together like we do for worship, for instruction, for encouragement of one another. The Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but we're to get together. And it says so much the more as you see the day approaching. Listen, Christians ought to be in church more, not less. They ought to be more used to be where people came three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they'd be there. Now you're fortunate if you get in there one service a week. Some people come so seldom you thought, oh wait, I thought you died. I'm just joking about that. 
I call them whale Christians. They're whale Christians. What is that? You don't see them for long periods of time. All of a sudden, they made an appearance. You don't see them for another three, four months. All of a sudden, there they are again, down. And then they get offended that you don't remember their name. Hey, listen, if you don't come from week to week, I'll forget who you are. I'm at that point in life. I'm just kidding. I'm, it's not, I'm not that bad yet. Listen, have you trusted Jesus Christ the Savior? That's the key. If you've trusted Christ the Savior, you're part of the body of Christ. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. Now, yes, some labels are revealing as far as what churches believe, but sometimes they just don't do it. And you could go to a Bible church and it can be preaching heresy, and you could go to a Baptist church and it can be preaching heresy. The key is, do we find the truth? Do we stand on the truth of Scripture? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.